welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with the one and only Bob Irving on the ground in Hamilton. Find out how many consecutive Grey Cups he's covered now and his thoughts on the big game Sunday. Plus, we'll talk to Murata Tesh in Seattle as the Jets are getting set to face the Kraken on Thursday night. That's all coming up on the podcast. The Grey Cup. And a man who's covered a few over the years. Bob Irving is in Hamilton for how many is it now, Bob? What number is this? This is my 48th consecutive Grey Cup that I've attended, Christian, which is, uh, I don't know, there's not many reporters who can top that. Nope. That's <laughs> for what <perfect>. it's worth. <laughs> that's that's longevity, folks. Bob Irving, dedicated to the craft. <laughs> and this is uh, a bit of a unique one, Bob, just because... We're still in a bit of a pandemic, right? The game is going to be the game. That doesn't change. But the, the festivities surrounding the game are just a little bit more muted this year. Oh, yeah. A, a lot more muted, Christian. And it's, you know, it takes away from really the fan flavor of the Great Cup, which is people from across the country gathering wherever the game is being played and attending all the extracurricular activities, the parties. Every team typically has a a suite or a party central where people, you know, move from one to the other and have a great time. And there's not a lot of that this year and everything is really restricted in terms of, you know, having to be double vaccinated to attend these events and everything else. So, which is good, of course, but uh, no, it's a very different great cup. And for those of us in the media, uh, you know, we just don't have the same access to the players that we would normally have. We're getting good access from the league. I'm not complaining, but it's just different, right? You can't, walk up to a guy and do a one-on-one interview you have to be distanced or they do it at a podium you know where we all wear our masks and ask our questions and so it is the existence we are currently in and that's just the way it is so it's a different great cup but as you say the game is always the thing and it should be a beauty on sunday hamilton and winnipeg for the second straight year just looking at these two teams bob and how they've changed or haven't changed since 2019 your immediate first thoughts on what the game could look like on sunday well the bombers have made fewer changes from 2019 they have just 10 players who are fully new to their team from 2019 hamilton has 20 uh so you know i think there's an advantage for the bombers in that regard we found out today that andrew harris is going to be able to play as a matter of fact he practiced we were over at mcmaster where McMaster University where the Bombers practiced and he was out there practicing and of course that's something he hasn't done very much in the last seven or eight weeks and he spoke to the media today and said he's good to go and uh, you remember last week he wasn't available to the media until uh, after the game because he was a game time decision so that was good news and then the Ticats announced Orlando Steiner their coach uh, made it official we all suspected that Dane Evans will be their starting quarterback on Sunday so Evan started, you remember, Christian, you remembered well, you were there in the Grey Cup game in 2019, and boy, he had a tough time. He was sacked six mm-hmm. times, picked off twice, and he's a more mature quarterback now. We spoke to him today as well, and uh, he said he thinks he's grown a lot from that. He's gained more experience. He thinks he's you know, more calm in difficult situations and thinks he can play a much better game than he did in 2019. If he falters, they can always turn to Jeremiah Mazzoli, so I think the Ticats, you know, not quite the same team they were in 2019, but I'll tell you what, their defense has played really well all season long. The team has had some ups and downs, 
But when you look at the metrics and the measurements on defense, they're right there. Their defensive front is outstanding. So they're going to pose a real challenge for the Bombers. I think the key for them is can they get the quarterbacking to match up with the quarterbacking that Zach Kolaris is expected to give the Blue Bombers. And I think the game, to a large degree, will revolve around the quarterbacks, as it often does in football. But I, I see a decided edge for the Bombers there. Now, Dane Evans might prove me wrong, but uh, based on experience and all the rest of it, you have to give Winnipeg the big nod at the quarterback position. Well, just looking at last week's East Final, Toronto had a ton of opportunities early in that game to really build a big lead and didn't do anything with it. They kicked two 10-yard field goals, which is really tough. But even mm-hmm. then, they were they hadn't given up a point until a punt return touchdown swung it in the third quarter, and Nate Evans didn't miss a pass. But the reality is the Argos are not the Blue Bombers, and Winnipeg last week made six turnovers and won the game still. So yeah. perhaps that was their one game their one slip-up game, they got away with it, and they're going to use that as a, a way to make sure that doesn't happen again on Sunday? Well, Mike O'Shea and, and the players, have a number of them have said, Christian, since the game on Sunday, that uh, you know there's no way we'll turn the ball over. We, meaning the Bombers, will turn the ball over six times again. And I, you know, that's a reasonable statement for them to make because ball security is right at the top of their list, and uh, they just don't turn the ball over the way they did on Sunday. So if you assume they're going to have much better ball possession uh, that's a great place to start from they don't give up long kick returns typically they don't their special team coverage is as good as or the best in the league so now could Hamilton return one of course they could but the likelihood of that would be fairly slim based on the way the Bombers cover kicks so there's two areas right there I think where Winnipeg gets uh, kind of a, a leg up if you're going to assume that what Hamilton did against Toronto they could do again or that what the Bombers did wrong against the Riders they could do again. It's unlikely, I think, in both cases. So there's two areas, and the Bombers have Janarian Grant, so the kick return game, and it was White who returned the kickoff for Hamilton, but I think the kick return game favors the Bombers. The weather's going to be very good, and that, I think, plays into Janarian Grant's hands. And then we come down to... You know, the offensive lines, and Winnipeg's offensive line is better than Hamilton's. The Ticat, that's an area of concern for the Ticats. And, you know, they're up against that Winnipeg defensive front. So I think most of the people I've talked to and, you know, who follow these teams very closely, and it's the same in the Saskatchewan game, there was a feeling that the Ryder offensive line would have a real challenge against Winnipeg's D-line, and actually they did fairly well. Uh, and it's the same on Sunday in the Grey Cup game. The, the feeling is if the Ticats can establish a bit of a run with Don Jackson, and he gave them a boost in that regard in the Toronto game, the semifinal game, or the final game, rather. Um, if they can run the ball and, and keep the Bombers off Dane Evans, uh, that's going to be a huge key to the game. The last time they played was over four months ago. It was August yeah. 5th. It was, does that, that game doesn't even matter now, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, it really doesn't. That was the season opener, and, you know, uh, I forget what the score was. It was a fairly 19-6. close game. Yeah, 19-6. So uh, they held Hamilton to six points. I don't know if they could do that again, but why not, right? This Bomber defense has been so good all year long. Uh, but, yeah, that game doesn't matter. The teams have changed. Certainly Hamilton has changed since then, uh, rotating quarterbacks in and out. And they've added Don Jackson to beef up their running game. They, and they're pretty healthy. You know, Speedy Banks is is raring to go. And, you know, they've got most of their key players 
as do the Bombers, ready to play. So, you know, I think both teams are, feel pretty good about their situation in that regard. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, it shapes up really as, uh, I think, a, a very even matchup in many ways, in many ways. But the areas where there is a difference in the talent and the performance, I think, favor the Bombers. So that's why they're three-point favorites or a little bit more. You follow the betting line more than I do, Christian. What's the latest? Well, uh, before I get to that, a big part of why that line isn't higher is the fact that Hamilton's playing at home. And that's always going to be baked into a betting line. The last three teams to play a Grey Cup in their home stadium won, and it was three years in a row, 2013, 2012, and 2011, the Riders, Argos, and Lions. But overall, since 1970, home teams just 6-5 and in the Mm Grey Cup. How much do you think home field matters in this game? I don't think it matters that much. I think it matters to a degree. It will give Hamilton, obviously, some sort of a boost, an emotional boost or whatever, and there will be some noise, nothing to compare to the noise that we hear at IG Field. So, you know, I think it's it's an edge to a degree, but I don't see it as a deciding factor. If the game was in Winnipeg in front of 33,000 crazy Bomber fans, I'd say it's a big advantage. But here... You know, they'll have 24,000, 25,000. So, first of all, there won't be as many people as there normally are at a great cup game because they limited the capacity. Uh, and I just don't see it as, as being as big an advantage as it could otherwise be. I've seen three and a half, by the way, Bob, for the uh, point yeah. spread right okay. now. So. And, by, yeah, and Christian, the, the other thing about the Bomber offensive line, and I, I know we reported on this earlier, uh, Tuielli yes. is not here uh, because he couldn't uh, meet the COVID protocols and the, the Bombers wouldn't say it in so many words, but he's not vaccinated, and so he couldn't travel. Now, he's played uh, pretty well every game on the offensive line. He's been a contributor. He started some games. So that's a loss. Now, it's not a, a you know a loss of any major capacity, I don't think, but it still weakens their depth a little bit, although Jeff Gray can step in, and you know they're well supported in that, in that area. But it's an interesting story about a guy who, believe so strongly from religious and moral convictions that he couldn't bring himself to be vaccinated. Now, what's up in the air with Ellie is whether or not if the Bombers win the Great Cup, he gets the $16,000 bonus that every player gets on the winning Great mm-hmm. Cup team because he's been put on their suspended list. And I asked one of the Bomber officials about that today, and they say that's still to be decided. Right. And I'm not sure who decides it. I guess as a team, they'll decide whether or not to pony up and, and give him his, his and if they lose it's eight thousand dollars for each player so you know not only is he passing up playing in the championship game he's possibly possibly passing up a rather large paycheck uh, simply i say simply and obviously to him it's not simple but simply because he won't get vaccinated which you know is it's an interesting story now had he I don't know, had he been a, a frontline player, a Zach Kolaris or Kenny Lawler or somebody like that, we'd really have a story going on. Right. Not to downplay Tuiotti's contribution, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before I let you go, Bob, we got the Great Cup on CGOB this weekend. Yes, we do. We How are going to carry, yeah, we're going to carry the national broadcast feed of the game so uh, people who aren't able to glue themselves to their televisions, will be able to get it right here on 680 CJOB. And we've got a couple of Great Cup specials coming up this weekend, uh, one on Saturday afternoon and one on Sunday morning, hosted by yours truly and joined by the 
proverbial cast of thousands. We look forward to it, Bob. Have fun covering your 48th straight, con- uh, I almost said 48th straight consecutive. That's redundant. 48th straight Grey Cup. Yeah. Okay, I will. Christian, thanks. There's Bob Irving. Who wouldn't make a redundancy in his speech like me? A dum-dum. We head to the Pacific Northwest and Seattle, Washington, where we find the athletics Murat Atesh. Murat, how is Seattle treating you so far? You know what? So far, so good. Nicely freezing temperatures behind my one complaint so far, uh, and this is a deep cut, but I can't help but share it. I know that you guys sometimes do pregame on Power 97 as well. I grew up listening to the Foo Fighters. They sang a song about the Kingdome. The Kingdome has been torn down. It was torn down 21 years ago, and I'm yeah. devastated. It was a long time ago, man. <laughs> you know what? I only knew uh, I only knew the details through the songs. So, uh, you know, my first chance to, to stand near that ground is a replacement stadium in its place. Yeah, I guess I follow baseball a little closer than you. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, you you call me for hockey. You don't call me for MLB, isn't that right? Yeah, that's true. All right, so the Winnipeg Jets last night, a uh, bit of a demolition of themselves as well by the Carolina Hurricanes. It was a very commanding victory by Carolina. Is there a lot the Jets can learn about how they can play from the way Carolina did last night? Well, I think Carolina is a standard bearer in the NHL. So in terms of the amount of puck pressure, no matter whether it's a dump-in, whether uh, whether Winnipeg's made a successful retrieval, whether Winnipeg's trying to make it through the neutral zone, the amount of puck pressure that Carolina put on Winnipeg is as good as it gets in the National Hockey League. And I think Winnipeg was found wanting. You know, they went into their own zone, picked up the puck, tried to break it out. The forecheck was too much. They tried to get through the neutral zone. The pressure was too much. They tried to cross the blue line, and the structure was too good. And for me, what Winnipeg can learn is partly – that, you know, it has a long way to go if it's going to go from one of those teams that's pretty good. And the Winnipeg Jets are a pretty good team. They're a good team. They'll likely make the playoffs um, to, to something approaching upper echelon. They're not only going to need to learn how to handle that kind of pressure, uh, they're also going to need to learn how to apply it themselves. And certainly when Winnipeg is on its game and winning games and looking like it should win games by, based on how it controls them, it's capable of puck pressure and, and puck support as well. Although, I'd argue they haven't gotten to the level that the Hurricanes did last night, and that's the the goal, the target for a season that's really about winning uh, You know, from the top down in Winnipeg. That's the goal. Looking at the lineup last night, other than the Dubois-Cop-Ehlers line, it was a struggle for just about everybody out there, but especially, I think, the combination of Brendan Dillon and Logan Stanley. What did you think of the big, young uh, sophomore's elevation to the second pairing? Well, it's uh, it's an issue for a couple of reasons. Um, when Logan Stanley gets promoted to the top four, he is asked to play at a level that he's never done before in the National Hockey League. And that's okay. That's part of growth. That's part of the Winnipeg Jets' long-term hopes and aspirations for this player. But the an honest accounting of the minutes he's played since he broke into the NHL and you look at who he's played against, it hasn't been the top six opposition, top six competition. And I've done this. I've gone minute by minute. You know, how many minutes did he play this game against Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or whoever it is? Um, Last year, it was almost nothing. And this year, more of the same with Dylan DeMello. So you're promoting him, giving him a, a look in tougher competition. That's all right to do, but it is a level up. The other issue is then to play him on his offhand side 
uh, he didn't look comfortable at, at, there at all. And certainly there were plenty of giveaways. There was plenty of uncertainty. There was plenty of him being caught in kind of a no man's land. He was certainly a victim on a goal against, but that was PK where he didn't clear a puck fast enough. Uh, in the net front as well. So it was a poor night for him. And my concern is that by asking him to play on his offside and against better competition than he really realistically ever has before, that's two levels at once. I think maybe one, uh, especially for a sophomore player, one at a time would be a better play. And it's my understanding from, from Mitch Clinton today that he was playing on his correct, his left side with Brendan Dillon in the top four uh, based on today's line rushes. That's a more realistic ask because even that's a leap. The, the, the leap from third to second pairing is an important one and, and a major one. And I don't think the difficulty of it should be, uh, should be uh, understated. And not just that, but against a team like Carolina. With all that pressure, well said. Yeah, yeah exactly right. There's no easy out ever. There's no extra bit of time ever against the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think Winnipeg got buried for it. So Villa Hanela was called up today. We were waiting for a, a call-up once we knew that Neil Pionk was in concussion protocol. Riley Nash goes on waivers. He's claimed by Tampa Bay. And so Hanela is the call-up. Do you think he's going to play, or is he going to be just the seventh man in the press box again? I think the most likely scenario, at least on this road trip, my guess, uh, and it is really just a guess, to be clear, is that Nathan Beaulieu reprises his third-pair role with Dylan DeMello. I think that's what we're going to see. Um but I've got kind of a working theory in my mind, and I don't know if this is how the Jets are operating. It's, it's been discussed at some point. But I had always thought that if there were an injury making way for a call-up and it was a short-term sort of thing, one or two games, that you might see a more veteran player than Billy Hainala come up because he's counted on for so much in Manitoba. Almost every play when he's on the ice runs through him in some way, whether it's a breakout transition, whether it's in the offensive zone, he's involved in everything. And so I've kind of thought to myself that, well, if it's a longer injury, that's when you're going to see him get that promotion. And with a concussion being as difficult to predict as it is, with Neil Pionk's impact from that knee of Jason Spezza being as severe as it looks, um, I kind of wonder if, well, okay, maybe Villahanala gets into one game on this trip, or even if he doesn't, there may be more opportunities, whether it's Buffalo or Washington next week. You know, we might not have seen, you know, uh, we might not be seeing an immediate return for Neil Pionk, that's all speculation on my part, but I think some of the logic might hold. So if he were to play, would it be with DeMello and Bolio comes out? I think 100%, yeah. I think that uh, Stanley is going to keep that promotion. He's going to play with Brendan Dillon. And then I think that sort of last man in, first man, man out mentality, Nathan Bolio, you know, playing as a seventh defenseman is not a particularly easy thing to do. Come in, come out, play limited minutes sometimes when he does come in, especially when Winnipeg was rolling 11 forwards and seven defensemen. Um, so I, I think that they've sort of uh, earmarked him for that role. If Ville Hanela does come in, I imagine that that third pair alongside Dylan DeMello. And you couldn't ask for a for a more consistent, smart, puck-moving veteran presence on a third pair, which, as we just spoke of a moment ago with respect to Logan Stanley's promotion, the minutes are a little bit different on that third pair. The role is a little bit easier in terms of that transition, and I think that would be a great spot to, to break him in, especially if he's going to end up playing multiple games. Well, what we've seen with DeMello is that anybody that plays with him gets better, right, over the last couple of years? Well, exactly right. You know, metrics-wise, everybody's uh, sort of shot attempts numbers, how much time they spend in what zone gets better. And a lot of folks look at that and they're perplexed because he's not a big guy. He doesn't lay people out. 
he doesn't have a, a, a booming shot from the point, but he doesn't do those sorts of shiny things that get defensemen attention. But what he does do is he goes into his own zone, he picks the puck off the wall, and he makes a smart first pass to a player with less pressure on him than he has. And, you know, against teams that pressure as well as Carolina did, that's a valuable skill. Paul Maurice told reporters today, that Seattle plays a similar puck pressure style. They're a pretty stifling team as well. And I'm not sure that their forecheck's going to be as heavy as Carolina's. But some of the pressure will be similar. You want players who can make smart decisions. And that's what Dylan DeMello does. Is he gets the puck and makes smart decisions with it. And that will help Billy Hanela if that's his partner. So, Murat, big existential question. Why does the Jets' penalty kill suck so bad? <laughs> I love the setup. I love the question. Um well, I think when any any aspect of hockey is as horrible or amazing, and in this case horrible as the Winnipeg Jets penalty kill is, it's a little bit of a lot of things. I don't, I don't like the idea that there's a simple explanation. So you look at the goal last night where Logan Stanley is on the scene but does not swat that puck away, does not take the player who scores, um, and it goes in, into the back of the net. I, I believe he had two cracks at it for that goal. Um, Winnipeg has not been good net front. And you think that you have a player like Logan Stanley, you have, you've brought Brendan Dillon in as well. You're supposed to be bigger, tougher, and meaner uh, down, down like in the center slot on the PK than you used to be. Winnipeg's not winning those battles. They're not getting the pucks out of the way. At times, their face-offs have come in and out, although um, Nash was the worst defender on that. His face-off percentage was, was the lowest amongst Jets forwards uh, taking uh, penalty kill face-offs. So that's getting a little bit better. Um, they're giving up the zone. If you look at how Carolina played Winnipeg in that five-minute power play the Jets had to end yesterday, how hard was it for Winnipeg to gain the zone? And admittedly, Carolina may be literally the best team in the NHL at that, but the difference between how hard it was for Winnipeg to get the zone and how hard Carolina had to, to work to get the zone on Winnipeg's PK is, is night and day. So that's another issue as well. So teams are getting set up. And then finally, you know, in, in structure, when the team is actually set up, making those reads, there was a day when, you know, you can generally trust Cop and Lowry to read off of each other, who's going to rotate over, who's going to push out to the side, who's going to go to the top, because the forwards are asked to do a lot of skating. That usually works. There was also a day when Winnipeg used to run all kinds of speed on its PK. I'm thinking of Brandon Tanev. Um, I think that perhaps when they're being asked to track over side to side, I think they're getting exposed for not being particularly quick. I think they're getting exposed for not reading off of each other particularly well. Seams are opening up that didn't in the, in the years past. Um, and then there are these pressure point moments where there's a contested puck on the wall and everybody kind of goes yard sale to try to win that battle, get it out of the zone. Winnipeg's lost that battle and then gotten exposed a few times as well. And if there's an aspect of penalty killing that I haven't named, well, goaltending, Connor Hellebuck has had a couple early, especially in the year that he didn't like. You know, that's almost every aspect of penalty killing I can think of, and I don't think any of them have gone particularly well for Winnipeg so far. That adds up to one of the worst penalty kills that we've seen in ages. Good answer to uh, what you called a, a good setup and good question. All right, well, I'll, I'll let you go on this. How excited are you just to see a new arena in the NHL tomorrow night? You know what? That's been the talk of everywhere I went. So I, I landed in Seattle a couple hours ago. I've been able to check in at the hotel. I've been able to get a meal. And, you know, everywhere I go, I tell them, hey, I'm, I'm in here. I'm in town to see the Kraken. And everybody talks about the arena first and foremost. I guess it's a marvel design-wise. Uh, people sort of visit it as just a tourist attraction in and of itself. 
And then I've also got a contact here who I'll be meeting with in, in the not-too-distant who had a hand in some of the design elements of that arena as well. So hopefully that means some, some inside info as to, to what makes it so great. I'm really excited to, to be here and to cover Winnipeg's first-ever game in Seattle. Also, are you a coffee guy? Oh, 100%, yes. Okay, so Seattle's a good place for you then. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have a bit of a pilgrimage or two to make. Uh, there's, uh, there's so many, I mean, so much history here on that front, to be sure. Absolutely. Well, Murat, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and have fun at the game tomorrow night. Right on. Thanks so much, Kristen. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the